I, I had several choices. Did I do it? Did I turn it on? I did. It's green. I couldn't remember. This is not starting out well, is it? I can't remember. You turn on your microphone. Who knows what's going to happen next? It could just be a crash and burn Sunday. They tried to offer me sugar before worship. That would have just, woo, you might not have ever heard the end of that sermon. You might still be here tomorrow. Uh, or you might, I might still be here. You might have long left to go do whatever. There have been a number of momentous trips I have made, road trips in my life. I don't know about you, but road trips are the kind of thing that oftentimes come to mind for me. And since we're talking about the road today, I thought about, I'd talk about one of uh, perhaps the most momentous road trip I've ever been on in my life. I, um, on a Sunday morning, had preached my deacon's sermon, which is a sermon back in those days We've changed the whole ordination system, but in those in the old days, in the ancient of days, uh, in the United Methodist Church, you were first ordained as a deacon, and you were a probationary member, and then you were ordained as an elder, and you were a full member. And there were two ordinations, and now there are two different ordinations and a whole different pathway. Uh, but in those days, I had preached a sermon to be recorded, to turn in for the uh, Board of Ordained Ministry in the Commonwealth of Virginia, to determine whether or not I could be ordained as a deacon, etc. So on that morning, I got up and preached. I was uh, serving a church um, uh, in, in Maryland, in Wheaton, Maryland, Hughes United Methodist Church. I was the director of Youth, Young Adults, and Education Ministries, and they let me preach on that Sunday. They were very kind, and it was baptism of our Lord, so I had preached baptism of our Lord uh, Sunday, uh, and it was also momentous because Linda came and heard me preach. We had met in seminary, but Linda had never met my parents. I had met her parents in what I like to nicely call the ambush, where we were supposed to go and have dinner with Linda and uh, Linda's mom and Linda's dad, and I arrived at the farm to discover Linda's mom, Linda's dad, Linda's three sisters, the three husbands, and the nephews and nieces all around a large table prepared to uh, interrogate me. And as I remember it, it was, I, I, I don't think that waterboarding could be any worse, but, uh, you know... <laughs> You cannot be too careful. I'll know the next time. So, in any case, they, they let me in. <laughs> the next time? Oh, did I say that out loud? I only thought that originally. I don't know how it came out. All right, never mind. So we're in the car. Maybe we should not talk about momentous road trips. I remember when I was in college, I went on the road no, no, I've already started this story. So after the sermon, I was really pretty worn out from preaching because uh, that was sort of a semi-ambushy kind of sermon as well because the associate pastor thought they should be preaching and so she called me into the office right before worship and said, I don't have any understanding why that they would let you preach on a Sunday morning in the main worship service when I'm perfectly fine to do that. And so I said, well, maybe I'm better than you. But... Uh, <laughs> Fortunately, I was short-lived there. I only thought that. Maybe. Who knows? Okay, now we've had way too much honesty in uh, the morning worship experience. We get in the car, and I'm taking a nap. 
Linda has not driven, I don't know in a long time, a uh, manual transmission. And we're on our way to visit my parents. So I've fallen asleep in the car, and we're changing from 95 over to 64. And Linda downshifts from 5th to 2nd. Needless to say, I, I had a, a wakeful experience from uh, reclining to woo, and uh, that was an intriguing moment. Linda has not since driven a manual transmission. Uh, I don't think I was that mean when I woke up, was I? Did it? But we don't. So that was the momentous go meet my parents kind of trip. Well, you know, not to be outdone, we got back in the car. 64 is apparently a very momentous place to be, Interstate 64. So we got back on 64, and on our way back, I said to Linda, you know, I really feel like I'm already deeply in love with you. We ought to just get married. And she was like, yeah, I think that's a good idea. So, you know, I don't have this wonderful, amazing, beautiful proposal story where we went on some mountaintop somewhere and the sun was just setting in the east or the west or whatever direction it sets in, because by this time, who knows? I, you know, we were in the car driving on 64 when I said, I think we should get married. And she said, sure. So we began to plan the wedding for April the 25th, and then we had another road trip and got married February the 4th because we decided that we needed to elope. So uh, we had a big wedding, April the 25th, and an elopement on February the 4th. So road trips have a lot of meaning for me. And I love in many ways to, to be on the open road going from place to place. Well, today's story centers, at least today's sermon topic, centers around a road trip that... Mary and Joseph made. Because you see, um, whether they really wanted to or not, um, when Quirinius was governor in Syria, uh, etc., well, I'll read you that little piece because you'll want to hear it. In those days, Caesar Augustus declared that everyone throughout the empire should be enrolled on the tax list. The first enrollment occurred when Quirinius was governor in Syria. Everyone went to their own countries to be enrolled. Since Joseph belonged to David's house and family line, he went up from the city of Nazareth in Galilee to David's city called Bethlehem in Judea. He went with his, to be enrolled with Mary, who was promised to him in marriage and who was pregnant. So, when they say went up, it's important for you to know a little bit about the... Uh, the lay of the land in, uh, in Israel. It really was going up when you're going up to Bethlehem from Nazareth. It is uh, into the mountain country near... Uh, Bethlehem is south of uh, Jerusalem, um, and uh, Nazareth is north of Jerusalem. So this is a long trek. It's about 80 miles. And you and I think 80 miles, no big deal. Here to Richmond, you know, get in the car. Have you ever been on, on the way there in a, in a car, going trying to go down south on 95, particularly, say, on a Friday night? Yeah, it's not pretty then. But imagine that you're walking, and you're walking those 80 to 90 miles, and you're walking, uh, and Mary's pregnant. <laughs> and, you know, she's not just a little bit pregnant She's really pregnant because by the time they get to Bethlehem, it is time to give birth. So 
This is a really pregnant lady walking 80 miles. I mean, she was in pretty good shape, I'm sure. But 80 miles is a long way to walk. And the roads are dangerous. You and I think of the roads as dangerous because of cars. But we're talking thieves and robbers. And you never know who you're going to run into on the road. And they've got to walk this whole distance. Likely because everybody else was traveling for the same enrollment, they were in groups. But still, it's, it's dangerous business. And it was kind of, if you have a choice, if you have a choice, you're pregnant, very pregnant, by the way. Do you want to go on an 80-mile walk right before you give birth? I don't know any woman who would tell me yes. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a great plan. Let's do that. You know, I've... I, I, uh, you know, it's a big deal. It's risky, and it makes you feel a little out of control. Nazareth, you know. Bethlehem, you don't. And that's the trip you have to make. That's the trip that Mary and Joseph make so Christmas could happen for us. Now, what does the road teach us? What is the road here to teach us? Uh, I found a couple of things that are important to me. First of all, that whole riskiness thing, that out-of-control thing. You and I get up every day and travel this road of life, this journey of life. And sometimes we imagine we're in control. (laughs) We imagine we have choices and that if I make a choice, everything's going to work out the way I expect it to do. And if you're anything like me, almost every time you make a choice, well, I'll say it's 50-50. Sometimes I make a choice, and it, I feel like I'm still in control because I get to the far side, and it turns out just exactly like I expected it to. And then there are times I make a choice, I get to the far side, and it doesn't turn out. You know, I have a flat tire on the way to some place I have to be by a certain time, and I don't get there on time. Or I leave an hour early thinking that's plenty of early time and still arrive an hour late because traffic in Northern Virginia. A 15-minute trip can take you 15 hours. Hopefully not, but I know some people back when it snowed a little bit, uh, back uh, about seven years ago, uh, right about the time work ends, around 5 or 6 o'clock in the afternoon, and people were on the road all night long trying to get home because Northern Virginia wasn't prepared. We didn't do anything. So now we do something even if there's not going to be anything, you know, put down saline solution and everything else. We try to prepare. But no matter how much we prepare, life oftentimes feels out of control. And the reason it feels out of control is it is. The idea that we're in control of our lives, that we're in control of our very choice, um, is an illusion that we've developed because it makes us feel a little bit easier in life. Don't you like to be in control? Don't you like to have the feel that you're in control? And yet if you realize that every morning when we get up, it's risky business to walk out the front door. Heck, it's risky business to put your feet over the side of the bed. You know, you don't know what's going to be down there. Hopefully you didn't. You picked up your jacks before you went to bed, but sometimes you don't. And there are, you know, there's waiting to knock you over. Or drop you to a knee. 
Uh, or you slip because you forgot about that banana peel that you thought you'd remember that you threw on the floor last night because you didn't feel like getting out of bed when you were having the banana for a bed you know, bedtime snack. That never happens to me in my house. We do not have bedtime snacks of bananas in bed. That's a heads up. Just, uh, we do not do that. Not a good plan. So the truth of the whole risky, out-of-control reality is that's the way life is. Tim, is that something that you do at your house? You know, uh, okay, some people apparently do eat bananas before they go to bed at night and drop the peel on the edge of the bed. That's just not going to happen in the Henry Patterson household, just a heads up. <sighs> so poor Tim is going to never come back now. Brought him out, called him out. The truth is, life is a risky business, and everything about it is a challenge. And yet Mary and Joseph entered this challenge with faith and trust. And I think for us as people of faith, that's about all we've got to go on most of the time. Because sometimes life is going to take a left turn we were not planning on. Life is going to take a U-turn we weren't planning on. Something's going to fall apart. Something's going to break. Something's going to happen we just weren't expecting. And we have to roll with that punch. We have to roll with that and trust that God is with us in that. God didn't promise us safety. Now that's one of the biggest challenges of life is sometimes people sell this religious thing we've gotten involved in, this faith that we've gotten in as a safety deal, that you're safe, that everything will work out just fine. Once you say yes to Jesus, there's no challenges. Well, that's just wrong. God doesn't ever promise safety or ease, God promises us that he will never leave us, that he will always be with us in the good and the bad and the risky and the dangerous and the boring and the mediocre, all uncertainties. And all of the certainties we're so certain of that when they become uncertainties, flip us out. All of that is part of the journey of life. Now the second thing that I notice in this story we don't hear much about the road, we hear about the destination. Now, I think that we are destination people. Now, the challenge with destination people is sometimes, it, I think the destination mentality makes us miss the road. We miss everything around us. We imagine our next destination. We tell our children they have to develop a destination. What is that destination? What are you going to do with your life? What are you going to be? Where are you going to go? What are you going to do when you go to college? I'm 56 years old. I still don't know what I'm doing with my life. And yet we expect people to graduate from high school with an idea and to go off and do it. Go to college and get this degree. Only they get that degree and they realize that's not the degree I really wanted. Now I'm not saying don't plan for your lives. But I'm saying if you live with a destination mentality and you can't get to the destination you thought you were getting to, how does that mess with you? And how much do you miss on the road because you're so busy getting there? Part of this journey of faith, every once in a while, we ought to walk somewhere. I used to drive to St. James all the time, seven-tenths of a mile from my house. What does that say about me besides, oh, Pastor James is lazy. You know, it's seven-tenths of a mile from my house. I'm in perfectly fine condition. If it's raining, there's a reason perhaps for me to drive the car. Maybe. Because I can't find the umbrella or whatever. But otherwise, there's no reason for me not to walk to this place. 
because I walk to this place and I see all sorts of things happening all around in the neighborhood. I often now have to leave extra early to get here when I'm going to walk here because I don't know who I'm going to have a conversation with between here and my house. But I don't have any conversations when I'm driving my car unless somebody's in the car with me or I'm talking to myself or the car or the other driver or perhaps to God. Maybe all of the above. I don't have conversations, but if I'm walking, I see things I wouldn't see. I appreciate things I don't appreciate. I notice the buds on the tree, because when you're driving by at 60 miles an hour, and by the way, I don't do that from here to my house, because the speed limit is 25 in all of the roads, except for seminary. I think it's 35, but I don't know, because I'm never that fast on seminary, because it's too short. Okay, this just no. I don't drive 60 miles an hour, but even at 25 miles an hour, you miss all sorts of things. You miss what's happening around you because you can't stop. But we, if we could only learn to appreciate the road. You know, I was reading about, in, in preparation for today's sermon, I was reading about the interstate. Because there was a time in America before the 50s, in the late 50s and early 60s, when we began building the interstate highway, there was a time when you had to pass through every small town on your way somewhere else. There weren't a lot of roads that, that detoured around them. In fact, some small towns have died because nobody goes through them anymore. You know, nobody you know how many of you have been into small towns that have you know, cool little motels that I, you imagine were once very busy, but now... They're off the interstate, so nobody goes there. Nobody stops there. They have cool little dive restaurants, but they have a lot of boarded up and closed down places because people don't drive the small roads anymore. We whiz through town or whiz through the country at wicked fast speeds. The interstate highway was originally built, you know, for time of war so we could move troops and materials and uh, in time of peace so that we could move stuff around. It was primarily built for trucks. That's what it was built to do, is move troops and, and stuff around from place to place. That was its purpose, but now it has allowed us to bypass all sorts of things in life. And I want to tell you that having a destination mentality makes us sometimes bypass important experiences in life by being so focused on getting there that we miss what's happening right now. There were moments in my children's growing up, and Josh is now 22, and Hannah will be 25 this month, that I missed because I was so busy with some destination in my mind that I didn't have time to stop and listen to what Hannah or Josh had to tell me. I missed some things because I was so busy being busy, so busy getting where I was supposed to get to, wherever that was. Because, you know, no matter where you go, there you are. unless you're not there. That's why we do this whole breathing thing, because every once in a while you need to remember to be where you are. Or you miss the beautiful pieces of life, the things that surprise you, the conversations you would never have if you didn't stop and notice that something's up with the barista behind the coffee bar here at uh, Starbucks. Maybe I should ask him if everything's going okay. And maybe they'll actually tell me. And maybe I can just say, 
well, I'm really sorry to hear that. And maybe that'll change the whole course of their day. But if I'm so busy on my next destination, ticked off that I have to wait in line at Starbucks to get my coffee in a timely fashion, that I don't pay attention to anybody around me, I miss it. I miss it. How many things have we missed in our lives being focused on where we're going and not where we are? I think it's the worst disease of Christianity. We are so focused on heaven that we forgot God put us here for a stinking reason. And it's not always stinking. It's a reason that we're meant to live and learn to love. I don't think heaven begins when we die. Heaven begins right now. If you open your eyes all around you, the kingdom of God is here. It is among you, Jesus said. Not off after you've punched your ticket of death. It's here. It's here now. You can live into it now. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss that conversation. Don't miss that telephone call. Don't miss being with the person you're with at lunch because you're too busy looking at your phone. It's wonderful to be connected. But I have watched couples, I imagine on a date, when we're out in public and both of them are sitting there on their phones. I'm like, how do you ever get to know? Are you texting each other? <laughs> what is going on? When I'm with someone, maybe I ought to be with that person. When I'm with Linda, I want to be with Linda. When I'm talking to Tim, I want to be talking to Tim, even if I'm giving him a hard time. Because he's laughing so hard. It's something I've said that I probably should never have said to say anyway. When I'm with you, I want to be with you. When I'm with God, I want to be with God. When I'm walking down the street, I want to be walking down the street. Not already where I'm going. Or not on this device that I carry with me wherever I go. I have some unfortunate news about the way my phone works. I don't answer my phone before 10 o'clock in the morning. I don't. I don't. I don't even look at it before 10 o'clock in the morning. Now, that really is probably, if you have an emergency and you're trying to get a hold of me, that could drive. If it goes off multiple times in a row, I'm probably going to at least look at it. But I'm not going to otherwise. Because until 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm hanging out with God. I'm reading. I'm praying. I'm thinking. I'm cooking. I'm cleaning. I'm getting dressed. I'm showering. I'm doing whatever I'm doing. And that's all that I'm doing in that moment. Now, maybe you don't have until 10 o'clock in the morning. Maybe you only, you're already up at 3 o'clock in the morning getting ready to go to work. And if that's the life you live... Well, maybe you get up at 1 o'clock in the morning so you don't have to look at your phone from, you know, 1 to 3. You have two hours right there. Get up a little early. Or don't. Don't. And maybe you have a job where it really is important that you look. And some people would say, but isn't, isn't being a pastor important enough to look? It is. If you call me three times, I will answer the phone probably. But otherwise, I'm praying. I'm preparing I'm trying to learn to be present because you know what religion is really all about? It's not punching your ticket to heaven, the ultimate destination. It's learning to be alive because that is the gift. That is the gift God is giving you right now. You're alive. Be here in this moment. 
Get over a destination focus. So I do have an assignment for you. Last week I didn't have an assignment. Last week I was dragging because unfortunately I woke up two hours before I was supposed to wake up last week. And so by the time 11 o'clock rolled around, it was like, this week I have all sorts of energy. Who knows? We could have an extra sermon. We could jump ahead. You can skip next week. I could give you next week's sermon now. <laughs> no, we can't. You're all shaking. Please don't change. Stop. Just give us our assignment and let us go. All right. I will. My assignment for you this week is, is to slow down. Not all the time. I know you have things to do, places to be, things, things that require your attention. But just pay attention every once in a while to just breathing. When you wake up in the morning, you don't have to wake up two hours early. But can you wake up two minutes early? Two minutes early before you absolutely have to get out of bed and just open your eyes, look into the darkness, and breathe. Thanks for a new day, God. Thanks that I'm alive. Thanks for letting me breathe in this moment. Yes, I have things I've got to do. Just be with me during those moments while I'm doing them. Don't spend your whole week thinking about what your next destination is. Because one of the things I have discovered about destinations is there's always a next one. There's always, I've got to be at this destination, and then at that destination, and then at that destination, and then at that destination, and it's all over the place. What would happen if, instead of focusing on all the destinations I have today, I just got to those places and enjoyed the ride? So, focus less on your destination this week and try to enjoy the road that you're on. I'm not sure Mary and Joseph really did. They saw the road, though. When you're walking and really pregnant, you see a lot. <laughs> and stop periodically. Don't miss out on all the small things in life because you're so busy getting where you're going. Because this season, 15 days from now, that's all you've got in the way of shopping days left. I hope that's not like causing you shock or shock and awe. But uh, you have 15 shopping days left. But you also have 15 days to prepare your heart for Christmas Day. For the birth of Christ in your life. It's being born in us every day. But one day of the year we celebrate that birth. And we're thankful. How will you prepare? Stop, light a candle, stop, take a breath, stop, drink a cup of coffee, stop, talk to a friend, I don't know. Whatever is a good way for you to get out of the destination mentality 